It's a new year, and it's a new season in the life of our church. Just last week was Kristen and Phil's last Sunday serving our community as our worship pastor and as our senior minister. And so we might rightly expect that a lot will be different this year. But we often anticipate that things will be dramatically different in a new year, as if all the troubles of the previous year will suddenly pass away with our countdown on New Year's Eve. But of course, we know that no matter how much we might wish this to be true, it simply isn't the case. We are still in lockdown. It is still against the best public health advice available for us to gather for worship, and so we continue to choose to love our neighbors by refraining from gathering together. Racial injustice still requires earnest attention, and our concern as a church for the stranger and the immigrant remains just as resolute now as it ever has been. For all the changes that a new year represents— that even very big changes on who is leading and serving us as a church community represent. There's also the much larger truth that lots of things remain the same. The reason why our decision to love our neighbors and refrain from gatherings persists, why we continue to desire justice for the widow and the orphan and the immigrant and all those who are still on the margins— is because the central vision of our church remains unaltered. Unaltered in 2021, unaltered during a vacancy without a senior minister, we remain a church that is at its core following Jesus. Following Jesus is the fuel which shapes all our ministry plans. How are we equipping people to make more and to be better followers of Jesus? Following Jesus is the center of our time of worship together as we listen to the word which God speaks. And following Jesus is the most important thing in our life as a community and individually. It's the thing we're constantly doing, whether we are in a Zoom meeting for work or for school, whether we're caring for our children or our parents, whether we're applying for yet another job, or we're at yet another doctor's appointment. In whatever places or situations we find ourselves, we are still a people that are following Jesus. As you heard at the start of the service, we're also this week turning to the season of the church year called Epiphany. And Epiphany is a time when we realize that the story we thought we knew is radically different than what we imagined when we are given fresh light to see how much bigger, how much better, how much more beautiful it is than anything we could have hoped for. And following Jesus in a pandemic, that's a different story than the one most of us expected. Being a church without a senior minister, if you've called Knox home for a decade or more, maybe you know what that's like. But for many of us, that is also new. And so we look to God to hear and see how the story God is telling continues to be a better one than the one we would have chosen for ourselves. And so a story that is often told around this time at Epiphany is the one we heard just now, the story of the wise men or the magi, the people who come from the east to visit Jesus. It's a fitting story 
about the unexpected way that God reveals himself to the world and the amazing way the story unfolds before us better than anything we could have anticipated. Because these magi, they're unexpected characters in Matthew's gospel. You have to know that Matthew's gospel is a book written to a Jewish audience. Matthew is writing to the children of Israel to tell them that their long-promised Messiah has come. He begins his gospel with a genealogy of all things, the genealogy of Jesus, to root Jesus' story in the story of Scripture, to point in all kinds of ways to prophecies that have been fulfilled. Then, after Jesus is born, he writes about magi from the East, in a story that's full of unlikely characters. A pregnant virgin, homage-bearing shepherds, armies of angels— these magi may very well be the least likely. Not only are they not a part of the Israelite community, they are in all probability actually priests of another religion altogether. They are guided by a star, but they're guided by a star because they practice astrology and they are very often guided by stars. And this star, it doesn't mislead them and it doesn't pronounce God's judgment on them for their witchcraft, both of which might have been expected by the very religious audience of this book. Instead, this star, it leads them to the home of the Son of God made flesh. It draws them into the center of the story of Jesus. It welcomes them to come and no longer follow the heavens but to now follow the king of those heavens himself. Is this the story that we expect? Far too often, I think we expect following Jesus to begin with coming to church, to begin with a Bible study, to begin with an alpha course, to begin with an evangelistic conversation. But for these men from the East... For these Persian priests, the story of following Jesus begins by looking for signs in the stars. And God uses those very signs that they are looking for to speak to them in a way that they can understand. To bring them to the feet of Jesus that they might know him and follow him too. Do we have room in our minds and in our hearts and in our theological systems for the kind of God that calls to people in unorthodox ways? There are so many stories, stories of Muslims who have come to faith in Jesus because they first encountered Jesus in a dream. To rational Western people, to you and I must admit often to me, this must seem absurd to risk your life, sometimes to risk your family's lives because of something you experienced in a dream. But to Muslims, and especially to Shia Muslims, dreams are taken seriously as a way in which God speaks. And so when a dream includes Jesus, well, that can change everything. It's for this reason that I hope that we do have space and category for a God who invites people to follow in ways that we don't expect. Because even as we read a story about Persian priests who looked for signs in the stars and were led to Jesus, 
so too this morning we worship in a community with Persian brothers and sisters who trusted in dreams that led them to Jesus as well. I wonder in what strange and peculiar ways each of us were first invited into the bigger story of following Jesus. And I also wonder in what new and fresh ways God is signaling to us individually and as a church, inviting us to follow Jesus even more closely once again. Matthew, for his part, seems to be pointing to these magi who are strangers and foreigners and highlighting how they have a deeper understanding of the story than even the very people who've been waiting for it for centuries, whose story it actually is. Because these magi have been waiting to see it and have been anticipating it coming. Even though they were far from the place of Jesus' birth, removed from the people that Jesus was first sent to, they have a deep knowledge of the story that they're entering into. While King Herod doesn't even know the city in which the Messiah was to be born. The depth of this revelation to these magi is revealed in part by the gifts which they bring to Jesus. Gifts which were commonly used in visits to kingly courts, now given to the king of all creation. Gifts that were often used in the worship of gods, now given to our Emmanuel, God with us. Gifts which were used as medicine among many people, given to the great physician himself. There's even a tradition in the church that says the gift of myrrh that the Magi bring was given as an acknowledgement of the death Jesus would die for the world. This is possible. Myrrh was used as a burial perfume. But Matthew's gospel is usually far less concerned with foreshadowing what's going to happen and far more interested in fulfilling Old Testament prophecies for his Jewish audience. And in the Hebrew scriptures, myrrh is not a symbol of sorrow or mourning. It is actually a symbol of joy and festivity. When Herod heard the news of a child born king of the Jews, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. But the Magi know this news is a sign of great joy and they bring gifts with them, gifts of honor, gifts of celebration, gifts fit for a king who is worth being joyful for. When God's story comes to us in unexpected ways, when we are given a fresh opportunity to follow Jesus, we have the option to be frightened, like Herod and all Jerusalem, or to receive the invitation with joy, like the Magi. And both responses are valid responses. Herod had a reason to be afraid. The way that he'd operated in this world for so long would no longer hold. And perhaps the Magi could have chosen to be afraid of the new star they saw rising as well, worried for what it would mean for their lives and their livelihoods. But rather, they choose the posture of joy towards this new star and toward the king that it announces. And in so doing, they confirm the depth of their understanding of the very good news of Jesus. When God does unexpected things in our church, in our lives, when the story doesn't unfold the way we'd prefer it to, 
we ought not to respond with fear of the unknown. Rather, we ought to choose joy, acknowledging that God continues to move in our world and that in our watching, we can follow in Jesus' way and realize more fully the goodness of the story that God is weaving through us and among us all. Now, some have read this story of the Magi, and they've argued that the Magi, maybe they didn't actually realize the unique place that Jesus held. Maybe they didn't fully get it. Maybe they were just coming as dignitaries often would for the birth of a new king, and their gifts were common in these contexts. But there's something much deeper happening in this text In Matthew's writing, we read, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. What's intriguing here is the repetition, bowed down and worshipped. If they were simply paying homage to an earthly king, one of these words would have been sufficient. But Matthew uses two separate words with similar meaning right beside each other. There's no and in the Greek. They bowed down, worshipped. And this is actually a common poetic device in Hebrew, which would have been familiar to his intended audience. It is meant to emphasize a word, to give it stronger meaning. To bow down might have been the respect due to any king. But Matthew says they bowed down and worshipped. He is making clear that these magi know something true about Jesus, and their worship was deep. And significant. Even beyond the choice of words, though, maybe you're not convinced about Hebrew poetry in the Greek language. Let's think about it practically. They have traveled looking for a king. So they enter this house. And what do they see? Do they see a gilded palace? Do they see Mary seated with a crown or the fine furniture of a throne room? Do they see Jesus in royal robes and the house filled with diplomats and kings from around the world? No, they see a humble and simple scene. But Matthew doesn't record that they're confused, that they mutter among themselves about why they traveled for so very long for such a simple person. They don't turn around in their confusion. No, they still bow down and worship him they still offer their gifts to this king. An anonymous commentator on Matthew's gospel from the 5th century remarks, yet because they were seeking the heavenly king, even if they saw nothing regal in him, they were nevertheless delighted, content in the testimony of the star. Their eyes could not see an unworthy boy, because the spirit in their hearts was revealing him to them as an awe-inspiring thing. The spirit of God is revealing to the Magi something about who this new king is. Whether or not they could have articulated that Jesus was God with us, it is clear that they have been peculiarly welcomed into the way of following Jesus, and that their lives will not be the same as a result. They find a boy in a common house with common people, and they choose to bow down and worship. They offer gifts of great celebration, and they return home. 
now the first people who have worshipped Christ from a far-off country, the first who have encountered this strange story and gladly entered into it with very little divine revelation offered to them ahead of time. Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, they have all had angels encourage them to participate in the story or explain to them what exactly was going on or reassure them not to choose that option of fear. These wise men were offered a star in the sky and filled with hope and joy, they entered quickly and fully into the story of all creation, worshiping its creator. They follow a star that led them to a boy, and they, and they become people who worship the Christ child. They follow a star, and they become followers of the one who is the light of the world. When we are offered no explanation for the story that's before us, when the ways of God seem like nothing more than a star in the sky and the furthest thing from angels pronouncing good news of great joy, the lesson of the Magi encourages us to step into the story, allowing it to change us without us fully knowing why, allowing the unanticipated and unexpected to spur us on rather than frighten us off, and all the while for us to realize that this is what, it is what is meant to be a follower of Jesus. It might sound like bad news, but the truth is followers of Jesus don't always get the angelic messenger. They don't always get the vision from heaven. They don't always get Jesus in a dream or even a star in the sky. But the good news is that God does continue to lead and to act and in to, to invite us further along the road of following Jesus in ways that we can know that it is him who is leading us, even if we cannot fathom the ways in which the story of God's kingdom is now being shared in the world, even if we sometimes forget the good news that even long and difficult journeys will mean for us and for our church, for the city, and for the world. May we know the story of Jesus, our God with us, in increasing ways this year. And may God's Spirit allow us to receive each epiphany of the Father's work in this world with joy, without fear, confident that in following Jesus, our true purpose and our deepest longings will be discovered in him and in his way. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We want to invite you into a time of reflection to hear how God's Spirit may be speaking to you through these words. And so the question for you is, what new things might actually be invitations for you or for our church to follow Jesus more closely this year? And then I want to invite you to pray that God's Spirit would disrupt your expectations with the truth of the fullness of God's work in our city and the world. So we'll give you a minute to reflect on that question and to pray that prayer now.